0: everyone, Simon here again from Sterling Coaching and welcome to this podcast episode in which I'm joined by Paul Ward of Blacktop Coaching. And Paul is an executive coach and trainer. After spending many years working with a dynamic range of people in the retail sector, which is a difficult sector at the moment as we face all these lockdowns, Paul chose to follow his passion for developing people and teams and started his journey to becoming a personal development and executive coach. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP, for the rest of us who can't quite say that, has been a fundamental part of his journey. And after being introduced to NLP whilst on a programme for aspiring managers in the retail industry. And I think many of us get introduced through to NLP through some kind of programme that we're on. So uh, good to hear more about that later on, perhaps, Paul. But using NLP Uh, He now helps understand the way others do things the way that they do. Really ignited a curiosity in Paul that did that lasts until this day. Paul is now one of only two people globally certified to train other coaches and consultants in both NLP and motivational mapping. Paul helps many different clients achieve many different outcomes through breakthrough sessions, ongoing coaching and development. And each relationship with his clients is unique and the client leads the way. Paul's coaching is there to develop the resources that clients and you, the listeners, already have to make the success inevitable. I love that word, inevitable. That sounds very definite. I love that commitment to results. Paul's clients have been included. uh, So I have included business owners, executive management, GPs, surgeons, Entertainers and many more. So quite a mix, Paul. Welcome to today's podcast. What a what a bio. Thanks,
1: Simon. Yeah, it took me ages to write that, you know. So I'm, I'm glad you pronounced everything so well throughout that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, well, thanks, I
0: did I did miss out the motivational map technology because uh, that that was just twisting the tongue a little bit too much there.
1: But I may bring you back to that subject, who knows?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. So thank you for being on today's podcast. I've got to ask a first question before we get into the drinks, and I touched on it when I was introducing bio, I think many of us are introduced to NLP because of something that we either have to do. So I did a coaching qualification back in the early nineties and NLP was a module in that coaching qualification, even though it was another 25 years before I became a coach, 27 years actually, before I became a coach. What was it that introduced you to NLP and why that fascination that as you say has lasted until this day
1: well yeah it's a a very similar situation for me I was um, as you mentioned in the bio I was in in retail management for for many many years and I had my own goals ideas of where I wanted to be within that role Um, and that route would have taken me to area manager level so there was a, a brand new management development course that was designed for uh, for managers likely to become area managers that was uh, brilliantly titled aspire and um, so we all went on our aspire course and had our bright red folders and everything that came with it and actually it was a really good a really good well put together course and it was a pilot course but it was again a module similar to what you described where this um these three letters got mentioned regularly nlp and i got curious about it and if I'm brutally honest, right at the right at the outset, I thought neuro-linguistic programming, that sounds quite fancy. I'd like to mm. be able to say that I've studied NLP, or more specifically, neuro-linguistic programming, because it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, but actually, no, I, I <laughs> That's a good
0: reason.
1: That, yeah, well, that was yeah. my reason, to be yeah, yeah. But I became fascinated by the idea of actually... The, the way in which we have been programmed or we have learned our behaviors throughout our life, throughout our interaction with others, becomes the the end the point, the starting point of understanding why we do what we do. And, and bizarrely, of all things, I thought, well, I'm going to test this. And being a retail manager, I drank, we're going on to the coffee now, I drank yep. endless amounts of coffee. and um, I, And I found actually at the time I was getting bothered by how much coffee I was drinking, but more specifically how much sugar I was having because I was two sugars in every cup. And I thought, well, actually, um, I'm going to use this thinking to to tell myself to work on this, that actually coffee without sugar tastes great. And over time, a very short amount of time, I accepted that coffee without sugar tasted great. And I'm talking like less than 24 hours. And someone made me a coffee with the two sugars and, and couldn't stand it anymore. And since that day, I haven't gone back to having sugar. So it was almost like I needed to test something from the outset about this nlp words that i had been learning about so so that was where the journey started more than anything else fantastic
0: and you've led us into what we're drinking today now both you and i are in the uk as we recall this and it's getting towards the end of our day so i'm reduced my caffeine level uh, purely because i want to get a good night's sleep uh, tonight uh, so I'm drinking tea, which some people say has got just as much caffeine, but uh, mine's normal tea. Uh, tell us, Paul, what you're drinking and, and why are you drinking that? And then we'll talk a little bit about that that coffee uh, drinking that you've mentioned.
1: Certainly. Well, yeah, for very, very much the same reason as yourself. Um, coffee drinking for me stops around about midday um, and uh, and water takes over. But this evening I've chosen to go with a nice herbal tea. I couldn't tell you exactly what's in it it just says on the packet "nighttime tea which i think is kind of nice yeah. way to end the day it's just a nice yeah. cup of tea so i've never been one for drinking english tea uh it's, right. it's not, i'm not really keen on english tea but herbal tea or breakfast tea whatever it's called that, that yeah. uh, british tea a cup of mug of tea uh, but herbal tea i can take a cup or two in the afternoon so okay
0: and if it's an evening tea it's probably something more chamomile based something that's more calming and, and relaxing Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one, one of the things I, I love to do uh, is have a ginger and lemon tea in the morning just yeah. to kick the, the digestive system going. And yeah, then it's followed by huge amounts of coffee for the rest of the day. So whether that negates the initial impact, I'm not quite sure. But you mentioned there that you you drank a lot of coffee. You've managed to, through NLP, get that shift from having to have sugar in every cup to not having sugar at all. Tell us a little bit more about the coffee that you do drink then before midday. Tell us a little bit about how that works out for you.
1: Uh, well, certainly um, in our last 12 months or so of experience of working just from home, my coffee has gone from, from a scoop of instant coffee through to uh, a cafetiere that I've started mm. using that um, has been a delight. And I was using Costa um, type um, you know, ground coffee for that. Uh, probably just missing the opportunity to go out and seeing a brand name that's familiar yeah, with yeah. routine in the mornings, you know. But yeah. uh, but actually, I, I joined a, a networking group, and it meant very early morning once a week. And I thought, well, I, I really want coffee whilst I'm doing that because of the early morning. Yeah. So I invested in a proper full coffee bean grinder percolator type. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
1: Most importantly, because it had a timer on it. So I could set the time of the night before and come down to the wonderful smell of coffee in the house. Ah, sounds using, great. Using beans for the first time, which I hadn't done. So I was, I was telling myself what I would be doing now is is really enjoying the bean to cup process yeah. and the savoring my coffee rather than gulping down endless cups in the morning. But of course, it's ended up gulping down endless cups in the
0: morning.
1: <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. But uh, but that that's where I go to now for my coffee, and to the point where actually. Struggled to drink anything else, any other yeah. type of coffee. So.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting what you said there about the machine. You know, I, I've I, some years ago I bought uh, uh, my wife's got a thing about KitchenAid uh, kitchen equipment, and she doesn't use it that much; she just likes the way it looks on the worktop. Yeah. And we bought a KitchenAid Nespresso machine. I used to have one of those little Magic Mix ones, and we bought yeah. this huge thing. And I couldn't really see the benefit of paying this huge amount of money for this coffee machine, but we we managed to get one at a good deal. And I tell you, the last twelve months, this machine has worked its socks off. Uh, it, the pods it gets, I'm ordering boxes of pods off of Amazon, uh, and it's great. And for for the Starbucks fans like me, yeah, we'll forgive you for mentioning the uh, cost of coffee. But <laughs> but but the the sale of coffee machines apparently has been one of those booming sectors, um, and a lot of these pods and a lot of these, you know capsule machines have done so well as well as the traditional machines that you're talking about have been been to cook yeah
1: absolutely absolutely yeah. I, think, I think it's it, it it has kind of given a sense of routine you know and yeah. i think that, you know however you have your coffee or whatever your drink is that it's it's important working from home to have that sense of gap between getting ready for work having a shower, doing whatever you're doing before you sit down at the laptop or in in, in the office, whatever it is, that you, you have that, that there's a, there's a gap between the two. Whatever your routine is, it's important to have.
0: And and I think you touched on something there and obviously behavior is uh, one of the things that uh, you've talked about, but it's hanging on to that little bit of going out. So, you know, um, I've got a Starbucks cup, you know, I buy Starbucks coffee before the lockdown. I bought very little Starbucks coffee for home because I went out and had Starbucks. I had Starbucks when I met clients. Didn't need to drink it at home. So it is that anchor, isn't it, to that freedom that we we all crave for of getting back to that normal of being able to go out and have a coffee. And of course you and I can't at the moment. We might be able to very soon, yeah. but you know, I know there will be people listening to this in other parts of the world that face longer lockdowns, but some who, have had very little lockdown. I was talking to some guys in Australia who were going to watch football this weekend. You know, with seventy thousand other people. You know, uh, great. So, so what's what's your favourite coffee? Is there a particular favourite coffee or a particular way that you like to drink your coffee, other than without sugar?
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm afraid that, that my uh, my my coffee styles don't get much more adventurous than that. I'm a I, I, I recall first having a black coffee when I was about fourteen again a bit of a pattern here i thought it was cool um, yeah. so i thought i'll have it without co- uh, without milk and it kind of stuck and um, that's pretty much how i've taken my coffee ever since without milk now the challenge with with having that as your preferred method of of, of, of coffee preparation is that you see endless lists of the different types of coffee lattes yeah. and cappuccinos and everything else but because i'm not a big fan of having milk in my drinks Black coffee is pretty much where it is. So, a basic mm. Americano. When I go into a coffee shop, um, it's actually all. I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with a black Americano, uh, and it suits me absolutely fine. And I very rarely m- go off off track with that. It's mm. pretty much plain and simple. That's all it is.
0: Well, I love the seasonal drinks. So, having a gingerbread latte at Christmas, pumpkin spice latte at uh, you know Halloween. But I, I agree with you. You know, my favourite from, uh, you know, we keep mentioning Starbucks and coffee, I open sponsorship of this podcast if you're open. But uh, when I go into Starbucks, very often, and most of the time, I just ask for a filter coffee. And people don't realise that Starbucks do filter coffee in UK terms for about £1.60. You can get a huge mug of filter coffee for £1.60. And the reason I drink it, not not to be cool, but I find that black coffee, stays warmer longer yeah Yeah. you know you get these lattes and flat whites and by the time you sat down with it it's going cold where the filter coffee black just stays warm for for such a long time so yeah we all have our reasons don't we
1: absolutely and i must add that um i i I thought it would make me look cool it doesn't mean to say that i succeeded
0: (laughs) (laughs) good point good point so thinking about your your business and yeah the the bio we gave about the NLP executive coaching uh, management working with those GPs surgeons uh, and that uh, let me get you out of the way so I can read it there motivational map technology what's been the latest or most significant thing that you've actually worked on and fixed in your business.
1: Most significant thing for me, without a doubt, is um, I actually re- changed my brand name—a whole brand exercise all the way through lockdown. I saw it as a as a great opportunity to to really consider where I'm at and what my offer is as a as a coach. Because of course, so many different coaches helping so many different people in so many different yeah. environments—it's it's, it's mm-hmm. it is challenged to stand out. And I thought, well, actually, what what was I representing? And uh, I took a long, hard look at my own values. Because mm-hmm. what's really important to me is as I'm working with a client or with a team of people or training, um, yeah. that actually what I present in myself is actually who I present on my branding, on my social media and everything else. Right. And I didn't feel what I had previously did that. It was almost I was, um, I'd, I'd set my business up originally where I felt that I was presenting what I felt was yeah. what was wanting to be received. So it was wonderful to go through that that process with, uh, with a guy I was working with, really understand what it is that I represent, how I want to put myself out there. And by doing that, um, the brand itself is now... Uh, pretty much doing what I wanted to do so that when I talk to people um, and they see my branding, we're connecting in a completely different way than what I was before, which sounds utterly bizarre that a brand change can do that. But I'm very, very passionate about music. I'm very, very passionate about alternative music in particular. And so I, I, I want to turn up as that authentic individual and that's how I want to help my clients, to be able to be the best version of them on their terms yeah. so so the whole branding exercise really helped me focus in on that as to what's important to me and also what i want to help my clients achieve
0: so where does the black top come into that then
1: um, there's three reasons for black top um, the first is um, perhaps the most obvious when you see me up, up in the training room I yeah. tend to nearly always wear black so I'm always with a black top okay yeah. uh, so so that's that's a dead simple one but actually that wasn't the reason but that yeah. just fitted it in quite nicely uh, the second um, is, a, is a coaching analogy more than anything else in the in using the spinning top particularly like the inception style spinning top those lovely little metal cast spinning tops yeah and I see the top as as my client and my role as the coach is to get that momentum to get that motivation to get that individual spinning because of course when they start spinning those tops there's a subtle wobble to them Mm -hmm. so they need to get to the point where actually they hit that spot where actually they're in balance and I love the idea of, of of finding the right top for the client also but looking the surface on which they are spinning as well and the final out of the three is again my 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 music fascination my my favorite band released an album back in 1984 when i was still at school and mm-hmm. um and and i remember i'm not sure i should be admitting this this year but i remember writing on the desks on the wooden desks at school <laughs> don't
0: and, worry there'll be no teachers from the school yeah, listening yeah, yeah, to yeah, this, so, i'm sure you know, <laughs>
1: Um, but I used to be writing the lyrics and the artwork on the, on the desk, and the album was called The Top. So, ah, so it's connecting okay. back to my youth and my my interest in music and and carrying that with me all the way through. So three yeah. three mean to me certainly three meaningful reasons behind my brand, which was the yeah. important part about it.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think it's the reason the brand works for you is one, it's striking. You know, and for listeners, you can't see the, the banner that's up behind Paul here, but I can, and it's very striking. If they connect with you on LinkedIn, they'll they'll see that. It's very clear. It's very memorable, which I think is really important. Transferable is also important. Mm. But also the way you've just explained the reason behind it, it's that backstory, isn't it, that also helps people connect. Yeah. And I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, it's it, interesting. Not long after I did the brand change I was talking to a client um, who was going through a personal breakthrough himself where he he was breaking through a barrier of presenting himself in the way he felt most comfortable Um, and we were talking about a way in which he could develop his brand and I Mm. said to him that my branding here if you know then you know in other words, if yeah. you know the background of where my my um, my branding comes from, it's linked to when I was younger and um, used to go to a gig and people yeah. would hand out handmade flyers at the end to look like that. So, so it's it's really I can see it instantly what it means to me and to other people. And thank you for the feedback. That you know it's striking. Yeah, it's certainly meant to be memorable, and most importantly. If I'm being brutally honest, I'm hoping it connects with people who recognize it and have a similar passion in life as I have. Yeah. Because I may not agree on their musical taste. I accept that. Yeah. Music's not. But if you've got a passion that you follow, I think that that's a driver for a lot of people, whether that's football, golf, horse riding, whatever it is, to share your passion openly, I think is really important.
0: And I think for all the listeners here, you know, I think that's a really important thing you've said there, because we should all be working with clients that we love working with. And one of the ways we can love working with them is because they are, yeah, you know, to use that cliche, people like us. You know, we like people that are like ourselves. And we've got to be a little bit careful with that statement. Uh, I understand that. And there'll be some people cringing as I said that. But if I was going to spend, and this is a question that uh, comes up in a book that I read some time ago called The Pumpkin Plan by Mike McCallowitz, And he talks about uh, being stranded on a desert island with a client. And yeah, I'm sure that what you've just said there, any client that you work with would be one that you would be happy to mm-hmm. spend some time stranded on a desert island with because you'd have things to talk about. Yes. You'd have commonality, wouldn't you? You'd be able to strike up a conversation. You'd feel... That there is some synergy between the two. I think for all of us listening to this, that what Paul said there is really, really important. That yeah. get get people who buy into that that identity, like you.
1: Yeah, I 100 I, I agree. And it was interesting when I had my previous website, my headshots, as in, you know, we were calling them headshots, but the the photographs are on there. I had yeah. a suit. I uh, wasn't wearing a tie, but I did have a suit and smart yep. shirt and all that stuff. And then uh, my new images. Uh, um, I'd, I'd actually ask a, a local photographer i said can you do black and white and grainy and she said to me, <laughs> uh, she said I'm, i can't wait she said no one normally asks me for that stuff so yeah. so i did that and then i had some feedback from someone who looked at my previous website and my current website and they said to me well it's great um, and they asked me a really insightful question um, and they said to me by not wearing a suit in your new website Mm. are you concerned in any way that those those business owners who prefer that sort of thing might overlook you and I look them straight in the face and I say well I hope they do you know for the exact reason you've just described because nothing against those people it's just my type of client I want to work with aren't in any way bothered by by Mm. that stuff yeah so it's uh, um, getting the message across it's
0: interesting you say that and yeah, I had an associate coach who worked uh, for me for some some months. And in the initial stages, uh, he was very much a tie person and buttoned up, tie right up. And he won't mind me saying it. it was a, a, He's actually been a guest on the podcast, Tony. And the first uh, sales presentation we went into with this huge multi-million pound company, to took his tie off. And he was like, oh, no, no, I can't. You know, So take the t- tie off. Um, and he did. And i used to have a hot tub business and i remember having a salesman that uh, was a friend of mine who i was helping out give him some work and he turned up to sell hot tubs at a garden center we were in shorts and polo shirts he turned up in a, a suit with a typical salesperson yeah. a pink shirt white collar you know tie and he couldn't work out why all day he sold nothing yeah, we were selling huge amounts of hot tubs. So, yeah, I think sometimes you've got to dress to the, to the prospects. But, I, you know, I love the way that you've stepped out there and you're attracting the people that you want to work with, aren't you, by being like that? And that's great. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. there definitely has been a shift. So I, I've got I've got to ask a question just so I can keep saying it. Motivational map technology. <laughs> What's yeah. all that about then?
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, <laughs> uh, motivational maps. Let's keep it with that and lose the technology. Yep. Okay. Now motivational maps it's a it's a wonderful tool actually it's just turned this last week or so it's just turned 15 since it was first uh, its first inception by mm-hmm. a guy called james sale down in bournemouth and it's a, it's essentially a tool that does something that, that no others does it measures motivation so we have our personality type questionnaires on myers briggs disk etc hugely insightful um yet yeah, motivational maps is here to measure what our core motivational drivers are, and it does so at a ten-minute questionnaire that I use for all my coaching. And in fact, I trained to become a motivational mapper at the same time I first trained to be an NLP practitioner. Yeah. So I use it um, because it it helps me work with the client to help them in which way their energy is currently flowing. So if they are, are um, or, uh, maybe they a lot of people right now you mentioned the difficulties in retail, for example. So so some two years ago. Uh, we would have said retail's a tough business to be in, yeah. but it's always going to be there. Now, hmm. based on the news with John Lewis in the last couple of days or so, you know, there's big, big environments now not there anymore. Yeah. So those people two years ago would have been heavily motivated perhaps by, by, um, money uh, to achieve targets maybe by um by learning and developing to grow to their next level as i was on my aspire course but probably security and stability would have been quite low down in their list because the shops are always going to be there now Mm -hmm. through this process of the last 12 months if we'd done a motivational map at that first outset and recently then security and stability would probably be very high up their list so that's the beautiful thing about motivational maps as compared to most other personality type questionnaires is that there's a flow that's connected to energy so that you you may find that you are highly motivated in one area now but when your life circumstances or your business or your career circumstances change so does your motivation so
0: Hmm. and and you're right there because you know i had a client uh, just the other day and we were talking about disc profiles and my briggs and i was suggesting i'm doing an appraisal of him next week actually because he's the md and there's nobody else to appraise him so i'm appraising him although his staff have done a 360 degree appraisal for, to give to me to give to him but he said well I, I don't really want to do this profile thing he said i did one 10 years ago it won't have changed but it's and i think it will have changed. I know it will, because he's developed as a person, but it won't have changed as much as his motivation because you know he's recently gone through a potential acquisition of his business. And that would have changed his motivation significantly by the So I'm interested that it's very dynamic, isn't it, then the
1: motivational map. Absolutely, because it's the classic for a business owner is to have two motivators towards the top of their results. and and the names we give them names there's nine different motivators we have the director motivator which pretty much does what it says on this on the tin as a business owner you grow your business and you are in control you are the owner of the business and nothing happens without you knowing about it but uh, the reason most people set up a business is to have the freedom to set up my own business so the spirit motivator is very close and we often see that as conflict with business owners that actually they want to be away and spending time on holiday with the family or on the golf course but they're reluctant to let go of the control because they are also equally motivated by being the boss of the business but it's then using that as a coaching conversation to explain well actually as you grow older and get closer to retirement are you going to want more or less freedom and the answer It's nearly always going to be I want more freedom. Yeah. Therefore, we've got to look at how through coaching work on how we can start letting go of that that almost need to stay in control. That actually it's a good thing to relinquish that in order to get more of what you want. Do you
0: find, I mean, you listed there, you know, executive managers, GPs, surgeons, entertainers, and, and many more people you work with. I should imagine for some of those people, they see motivation as emotional and not tangible and not physical so that you know with people's behavior that's always a difficult thing to get people want to accept and to to make a change with you know what would you suggest to the listeners perhaps who are either seeing themselves in that trap or seeing some members of, of their team in that trap
1: yeah, i think um the, the, the conversation we've had with motivation on maps unlocks that using a tool but if the tool's is not available then certainly what's very similar to, to motivation of course is your values understanding what what drives you at, at a visceral level that's going to move you in one direction so um, if you are in a situation where you're in a team or working with a business there's probably some business values yeah. so I would suggest taking a close look at what those business values are and see where you align with those values and if there's a mismatch, trying to explore what's going on there. Is that something that we can do some work with? Or is it something that over time is just going to grow to be a bigger divide? Because that will only bring discomfort if we yeah. allow that to happen. So, But certainly with business owners, I've worked with business owners, I'm sure you have, in that they've managed to get somebody in to explore the business values, what the yeah. company values are. Yet they've not spent the time to look at their own personal values. Yeah. And once you do that piece of work with them and then they glance back at the business values and realize they're not quite the same in, in their total belief of where they need to be. So, so yeah, yeah. certainly having a look at your values, whatever, the, whatever shape or form you Great. Great choose to tip. do that, but particularly talking with a coach obviously would be yeah. my big, biggest, bigger suggestion, but, but yeah, Great. knowing what actually drives you at a deep level.
0: Now many of the listeners to this will be coaches and consultants as it happens. Um, and you mentioned here in your bio that didn't read out that obviously you help other coaches and consultants use this, this tool. So yeah, I can go online and I can get clients to do disc profiles, or I can buy credits from one of the providers. How do the listeners, particularly those coaches and consultants that are listening to this, how do they get in touch with you to find out more about the use of these motivational maps?
1: all um, well, the, well, the usual um, methods through linkedin and my website blacktopcoaching.com and, and i guess the conversation will be you know to be able to use a use motivational maps to build your business so i i without doubt would not would have struggled to build my coaching business without motivational maps because it's a meant right. something you mentioned a, a second ago is seeing motivation as an emotion as an energy yeah. as, rather than something tangible well that's exactly what we measure with motivation maps and provide a tangible report to be able to work from yeah. so I, I train other coaches to use the tool within their business when okay. i I've often explained, because we use it as individuals we can then use it as a team that's all the same as a lot of the yeah. other tools that you've seen but i see the information i get back as a, as a practitioner of the maps it's almost like i've had the first coaching session with the client before i've even met them because ah. of the accuracy of the map and what it tells us because we know as a as a as a client you get to see what motivates you and how strong yeah. that motivation is as a practitioner we get an additional report that looks at how well satisfied that client is in those certain areas Great. yeah so so it's it's a it's a great tool in which to open doors to be able to have coaching conversations which can lead to team, team workers.
0: yeah and as you say it there you know, and I don't know if other people listening to this are connecting with it as well it feels almost you know I, I like to dump things down from a language point of view from just to fit with my builder brain but it feels like a a sort of a motivational or emotional benchmarking tool because you know we we very often as coaches. And yeah, business owners that are on here. Very often, will get consultants come into their business who will look at their finances. They'll always want to start with the numbers, yep. uh, but very often it's the the motivation, it's the emotion behind those numbers, which is where the root causes of where they are actually start, isn't it? And yeah, it sounds like a great great tool that we all should be using, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a simple equation I use in my my, my preparation to talking to people is. If you were if you were to look at a member of your team or to consider yourself and mark yourself out of ten as to how, where you would pitch your skills, most people go somewhere eight or nine out of ten.
0: Yep.
1: If we then look at well, let's now see what let's measure your motivation out of ten. And if we're picking a member of the team, it could be five five out of ten. You know, yeah, I need yeah. some, need a bit of extra motivation here. Well, nine, nine times five is a forty five percent. Motiv- <laughs> productive employee so instead yeah. of looking back at retraining um, and, and looking at that end we need to look at the motivational aspect how can we make this individual feel more motivated yeah. so we can then actually put the skills into action and that's where the difference is I think great
0: tell us a little bit about the the training you've done on ALP in Thailand and, and not so much the, the NLP side of it perhaps and of course you can tell us a little bit but why Thailand? You know, why why go halfway around the world to training in something that I'm sure there probably are people in the UK that can do?
1: Well, ultimately in NLP, one of the techniques is reframing. So let me reframe that. I had, okay, a, yeah. I had an good, opportunity to go training good flip. in Thailand, I went for it. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> yep. it's almost as simple as that. But uh, the the guy that trained me um, in Thailand, sadly not with us anymore, but a guy called Bruce Farrow. And, and he, um, he loved training in, in Thailand, in, in, in that area, and um, had done so for 10 years, uh, once a year, and done train trainer-trainer. Um, okay. And the guy who had trained me, a guy called Bevis Moynan, um, trained me at practitioner and master practitioner level, was also trained by Bruce. And I followed that path and uh, had an opportunity right. for four weeks to go to Thailand, as a life experience as well as gain the certification to become a, a trainer of NLP. So yeah. uh, it was it was a hard hard four weeks being in a in a nice hotel on the beach, you know. Oh,
0: but, shocking! I bet, yes.
1: <laughs> but it, it was it was an intense course, six days out of seven training. Yeah. Um, but it was more about what I loved about it was as an opportunity to practice one of the presuppositions of NLP and one that's familiar to many people, no such thing as failure, only feedback. So mm-hmm. my whole four weeks was about being on stage. It was less testing my knowledge of NLP, although that was part of it, mm-hmm. but pushing myself into my ability to, to train, my ability uh, my ability to be on stage, to be able to engage with a group of people. For Because our courses mm-hmm. are seven days long. I need to be able to engage with energy for seven days. And yeah, that's that quite really an
0: achievement. Awesome.
1: Yeah, great fun though, yeah. great fun.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I used to be involved in motorcycle racing and I used to try and pick racers somewhere in the world where I really wanted to have that life experience. So I've been to Kuala Lumpur to watch motorbike racing, various places in Spain. So yeah, yeah. if you can give it a reason that feels business-like or uh, purposeful but yeah bolt it onto a life experience then i'm, I'm all with that so that's great yeah. so if you could give the listeners one tip one thing that they can take away that they can do something with from this podcast what would you share with them paul
1: i think um i think when i just come back to that authentic thinking that i've that track that that I've always believed that, you know, it's important to be authentic, but perhaps have got in my own way of actually delivering that for myself. So I think that's one thing I would invite people to just to spend some time that when, you, when we say out loud, yeah, I'm authentic, I'm being true to myself, to really stop, consider what that really means. And if you were able to present the real you at any time, whether that's in your Business world, your relationship in your in your life generally, to consider what is the authentic version of me, and and it sounds like a simple thing to do, but I think we we get Mm. so caught up in in being what we think we should be, yeah. Almost, and I think social media has a big effect on that, and I think that you know we compare ourselves all the time. One of my favorite quotes is, "Comparison is the thief of joy." And I think well, that's <laughs> if, if we could let go of comparison and just simply look at what it is that we've already got to offer, then I think that will go a long way. And then your next step, wherever that is, yeah. building your own coaching business, continuing as a coach or, or as a business owner, or you're in a career at the moment and you want to change. You know, just yeah. go for what it is that you think is the right thing for you.
0: Just so I can remember it, and I've run out of room on my post-it note of writing things down, so you know, I've written down there. I think it's really important for us to get out of the way of, our, uh, of being authentic, because very often it is ourselves. That's getting away. I'm going to ask you to expand on that a little bit more before we go on to the final question. But just give us that quote again, because I love that
1: quote. Comparison is the what? Comparison is the thief of joy. The I think it was of Roosevelt who came out with that quote. I'll have to look that up myself now, but it's... Yeah, uh... I'm going to write
0: that down. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. There, listeners, you, you've you had it. So if you're comparing yourself to other business owners, perhaps you know, we're doing a lot of networking at the moment, perhaps, uh, and we're looking at ways that other people are reacting. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. And it certainly gets in the way of that being authentic, doesn't it? And people are buying authentic at the moment, aren't they? You know, there's so much noise out there. So if you could say to somebody the first step to take to get out of that, that way of being authentic, what, what would be a good first step to take? You know, what, what could the listeners do?
1: I think um, I think a simple exercise that I've undertaken myself recently is just to, to write a list down of all the things that you think you, you should be and what you should have. And then take a moment and then on a separate sheet or on another side just then start writing down the things that you want and mm. notice the difference between the two and i've been discussing that word should quite a lot with other coaches <laughs> this week yeah and, and becoming very very aware when i'm using the word myself but yeah. just just to uh, it maybe just that's that's the nugget to take away just notice how often you say should yeah and if you could change that to i will or I am. Yeah. It's simple linguistics, but ultimately, it's it's setting a different intention of where you want to end up. Yeah. So stop shooting all over yourself, and then actually go and do. You know.
0: That's... Yeah, and I, and I remember going on my first Unleashed a Power Within with Tony Robbins, and you know, we had a whole afternoon, and that was his big thing: stop shooting all over yourselves. Yeah. yeah
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and then you go out and do the fire walk, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one thing you shouldn't do though is run on the yeah. firewalk. yeah steady steady walk <laughs> so and I think that's great and, and a great tip to do that list of shoulds what you, you feel you should be doing compared to what you want to do so listeners if you take just one thing and I think we've got two or three four things to take away from today uh, as well as you know successes in the inevitable and that that measuring that motivation take away that list that list of shoulds against wants and have a look at it and examine yourself and be aware definitely so paul as we're both sat here in the uk in a lockdown looking forward to the 12th of april when we can start drinking outside and meeting people a little bit more freely and this i think this weekend isn't it we can actually meet people after this weekend in our gardens and up to six people etc but think about where your next drink's going to be, whether it's the coffee, whether it's the herbal tea, perhaps it's even a cocktail. I don't know. But where is the dream location of that next drink? Describe it to us.
1: Uh, that dream location I'm just going back remind me I better cut my lawn before these people are going to turn up in my <laughs> I don't know who the people are going to turn up in my garden but just in case yep um, but no, for me I mean there's there's a few that I could mention the grand prix season starts this weekend so having a cocktail overlooking monte carlo would be a really nice one to ah, see yeah um, uh, I was up table mountain in my early 20s and that's a wonderful place to be but I think to answer your question tonight I think that, that what I was if I could have the dream drink next, it would be standing in a field with a nice cold beer with the Pyramid Stage of Glastonbury in front of me, just as we're going into the Saturday night and the main headline band of my favourite band, and that would be perfect for me. Fantastic. Well, actually, I've got a client.
0: I was on a call with him just earlier today, and he's doing the event geomapping for Glastonbury next year. Wow. Well. So he's already working with them of where, because he sorts out where all the stages go and you know where people flow and where people go in and out. So uh, I think they've realised over the years that there's a lot of chaos of getting in and out of Glassbury. So they've appointed him for the first time ever. He does a lot of Olympics and uh, Commonwealth Games. They've appointed him to look at the flow of people and locations of things. So fingers crossed, it will yeah. be a little bit better next year. If it's not, I'll direct to the person to blame.
1: Well, if he, can, if he can design a little spot for me to have my beer, <laughs> that would be amazing.
0: Yeah, I will get him to put it on the Geo map. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Paul Ward's spot. So just remind people again, um, Paul Ward is how they can find you on on LinkedIn. And just the business name again, and perhaps the website, give us those details again.
1: Sure. Yeah. So as you say, Paul Ward on LinkedIn, uh, the website or the business name, first of all, Blacktop Coaching. Funnily enough, the website is Uh, blacktopcoaching.com. But yes, it's a a way of connecting with me me through the website, uh, but happy to to make connections through LinkedIn. be really grateful.
0: Great. Well, I really do appreciate your time, as I do with all the guests, and anybody listening to each podcast will always know how much I appreciate time. So thank you very much, and thank you for sharing some great things and giving us more of an in-depth view of not just the profile of people and the and the values, but the motivation behind those profiles and those values as well, and how how to use that as a as a tool. And some great things about you know changing your brand and how that's worked out for you as well. So thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: well I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Sam.
0: And listeners, of course, this is part of my mission to help businesses around the globe become better aware, which we've certainly done, better educated. I certainly know I've taken two or three points away from Paul today, and we've taught about two things we've talked about herbal tea and coffee as well so double double whammy from paul today i strongly encourage you to connect with paul visit the website have a look at what paul offers and find out more about how paul uh, and perhaps some of the people he works with some of the coaches that he coaches can help you in your business and get that inevitable success another tongue twister you see there thank you very much and i look forward to seeing you all on the next podcast bye for now